The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Morning, Shades. Uh, In our Advent series, which is simply entitled Christ to the World, we're looking at four angelic announcements. Announcements that follow the themes of the Advent wreath, announcements of hope, love, joy, and and peace. And if you were with us last week, we heard through the lips of the angel Gabriel the Advent announcement of hope. And so this morning we're going to turn our ears to the text of Luke 1, 26-38 to to hear Advent's announcement of love. So pray with me. We'll dive in. Lord, we are are grateful because you've given us another day and you've given us this morning when we can gather together as family because of our faith in you and you've given us your word you have not left us to ourselves but you've given us your word that your spirit opens up for us so that we may see you know you and i pray that's what would happen this morning that through these words that were spoken so long ago by gabriel by mary that your spirit would take them, make them fresh this morning and show us the beauty of who you are this morning. That you would captivate our hearts, convince us of the reality of this announcement despite what things may look like around us in the world. That the advent of your son is an advent of love. We pray these things in his name by the power of your spirit. Amen. So I do invite you to open to Luke chapter 1, if you haven't already. Uh, I played drums throughout my growing up years, and when you play drums, it can be difficult to feel like your family is supportive of your musical pursuits. Um, I remember complaining to my mother all the time that I didn't feel like anybody in the family supported me. They just complained about the noise. Until one particular morning when I was abruptly awoken out of my sleep by the sound of music blaring, and I quickly realized that the source of it was in my room somewhere. So I'm all disoriented, and I'm stumbling around in the dark, and finally I find it, and it's an alarm clock in the shape of a drum set. And I realized that the kick pedal is the on-off switch. And so I click it, and the music shuts off, and the alarm clock cheerfully declares, Good morning. I was not amused, and I stormed out of my room to confront the first person that I came into contact with, which happened to be my mother, and I loudly proclaimed to her, whose idea of a sick joke is this? My mom's eyes welled up with tears as she said, I got you the clock because I just wanted you to know that I love you and support you. Yeah, I still feel bad about that. (laughs) Like, to this day, guilt complex. I I am sorry, Mom. I can apologize to her because we all know she's the only one that listens to the podcast. But that's beside the point. The point is that this was an incredibly loving action coming from my mother, but I was unable to see it as love. Therefore, I was unable to receive it as love. Here's the deal, Shades. I fear that we often have the same problem when we encounter the love of God. 
We don't see it as love. And so we are unable to receive it as love. We don't see it as love because it's a very different looking kind of love. Just a cursory glance at Scripture will show you that. You look in places like Luke 14, where Jesus expresses his love towards you by telling you to abandon everything and follow him. Like, even if it looks like hatred towards your family, that's Jesus loving you. How's that love? How are you supposed to see that and receive that as love? Or I think about places like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where God gives the Apostle Paul a thorn in his side, some type of affliction. And Paul prays for it to be removed from him, and God says, no, you keep that. That's me loving you. How are you supposed to see and receive that as love? Or probably the most difficult, I think about John chapter 11, where we are explicitly told that because Jesus loves Lazarus, he lets him die. Because he loves Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, he lets death and suffering come into their life. How in the world are you going to see that and receive that as, as love? This is why, this is why we're in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Because we need to hear Advent's announcement of God's love to the world. Because I think that this announcement, I think it will help equip us to see and recognize the love of God when we encounter it. And it will show us how we are to receive the love of God. This announcement is going to come this morning through the angel Gabriel telling Mary that she is going to give birth to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as soon as I say that, you may be thinking, Jonathan, of course that's an announcement of love. I'm familiar with this story. That's not hard to see. Jesus Christ being announced as the Savior of the world, that's not hard to see as loving. That's not hard to receive as love. But, Chase, I, I think that we only feel that way about this announcement because we have plastered over the picture that this story paints with a bunch of Christmas glitter and glow. Like if, if we'll take a moment this morning to, to peel all of that off and look at what's actually here, then I think we will begin to ask, how in the world is this love? We'll begin to ask, how, how could the people of God, Israel, how could they see and receive this announcement as God's love towards them? They had been promised a Savior who would come and save them from their enemies, but what they get is a peasant telling them to love their enemies. Like, like how's that a fulfillment of God's promises? How's this His love towards them? And not just Israel would feel that way, but we've got to ask that question about Mary. How could Mary ever see this announcement as God's love towards her? This is a, a young woman, and she's told, hey, you're about to be pregnant, out of wedlock, and yes, I know that you're living in a culture where that condition is punishable by death, but here you go. Like, how is that God loving her? And I imagine that Theophilus has got to be asking himself similar questions. And you're like, who in the world are you talking about? Who's Theophilus, Jonathan? Recall from last week, Theophilus is the man to whom Luke is writing this gospel. He's a Roman official and a new Christian, and he's living underneath the rising tide of Roman persecution. He could lose everything on account of Jesus. His job, his home, his family, even his life. I mean, for Theophilus... 
receiving Christ sure didn't feel like the love of God being poured out into his life. What what about you? Like you've received Christ, but has that improved your life? Or has it amplified its difficulties? You've received Christ, but the marriage is still hard. Parenting's still hard. Singleness is still hard. The job's still hard. The school's still hard. Life is still hard. And on top of that, now you've got a culture that mocks and rejects you because of your faith. I mean, Israel, Mary, Theophilus, us. Does the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ into anyone's life actually look like an announcement of love? Does Advent really announce love to the world? It does. Shades, it it does. And I believe that we learn how to see it and we are shown how to receive it right here in Luke chapter 1. Let's see it and receive it together. Luke 1, let's start reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary in the sixth month. What does that mean? You've got to recall from last week, we've already heard Gabriel make one birth announcement. He made it to a priest by the name of Zechariah. He said, Zechariah, your barren wife, Elizabeth, She's going to miraculously conceive and give birth to a son, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Now, here we are in verse 26, and Elizabeth is six months along. And Gabriel has another birth announcement to make, but this one is very different from the last one. This is a different kind of announcement altogether, about a very different kind of birth altogether because this is going to reveal the very different love of god we're already noticing how different things are the moment we read the angel gabriel was sent from god to a city of galilee named nazareth that sentence is meant to shock us like gabriel who stands in the presence of god almighty who is sent to great prophets like Daniel who sent to great places like the temple that we saw last week now he comes to a place that is not so great this is very different comes to Nazareth of Galilee Galilee is in the northern part of Israel but the whole country thought of it the way our country thinks of the south this is this is rural farm country Like, people are are pointed out as being from Galilee because of their accent. That's how Peter gets identified by a girl in in the courtyard when he denies Christ, by his Galilean accent. It's unrefined. It's hick Hebrew. Uh, And and, and if, if Galilee is not a rural area enough, we're pointed out this specific little bitty town called Nazareth. It's a rural agricultural town with one freshwater well. I mean, this is worse than a one stoplight town right here. It was not impressive. I've been there. It's grown a lot, and it's still not impressive. People could barely even point this thing out on a 
on a map. This is shocking because Gabriel is not coming to a great place. Nor does he come to a great person by worldly standards. Verse 27 says he comes to a virgin named Mary. Now, Mary, she's obviously from Nazareth, and so she's just like everybody else from Nazareth. She is dirt poor she's probably had very little if any education at all she would not be considered great on the world scale at at all no matter how you try and slice it she would be considered someone of extremely humble state what why is gabriel coming to this place and this person this is not like his last announcement we saw him make last week where he came to a priest in the temple of god no this is, this is a very different kind of announcement because it announces a very different kind of love. Look at verse 28. He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. An angel shows up. Mary freaks out. As one does. And as always, the angel's first words have to be, don't be afraid, chill, it's good news. I told you all last week that's how I read it in my head. But Mary really should not be afraid because Gabriel is here to make an announcement of love. We know it's an announcement of love because of the very first words that come out of his mouth. He says, greetings, O favored one. What does that mean? This does not mean that Mary is one of God's favorites. Greetings, O one who is a favorite of the Lord amongst all the lowly peoples of the earth. No. The root word of favored right here, the Greek word is charis, and I hope you will recognize that as my eldest daughter's name, and it simply means grace. This is Gabriel saying greetings to the one whom God is showing grace. Greetings, O oh favor. Greetings to the one God's showing grace to. Right now, in this moment, Mary, God is pouring out His grace. His unmerited, unearned love upon you. Mary did not do anything to earn or to deserve this. It's God pouring out His unmerited, unearned love upon her. Why her? And she's, she's a girl whom the world would say is the least likely candidate for such a gift. And that's the point. Her humble estate magnifies the greatness of God's grace. So does yours, Chase. Like as, as I've already started talking this morning about God and about us hearing an announcement of God pouring out His love towards us, some of you have already begun to rifle through a list of all the reasons you're not qualified to receive God's love. You're mounting up your Nazareth. You're poor. You're uneducated. You're whatever. If you find yourself this morning listing off every reason that God should not show grace to you, then know that all you're doing is making a list of the reasons we call it grace. You see, when we, when we peel the Christmas glitter and glow off of this picture of Mary, I believe it actually shines all the brighter because it reveals to us that God's love is poured out on people just like you and me. 
God loves to take the things that the world claims are foolish and use them to shame the wise. The things that the world thinks are powerless and use them to overpower the strong. He loves to do it with Mary and with you and me. Mary may not be great in the eyes of the world and she may not be from a great place, but on this day, she finds herself in a place of grace. Now what verse 30 says? You have found favor. Grace. Charis. You found grace with God. Mary, you find yourself in a place where you're about to receive God's grace. His love is being poured out on you. And shades, you find yourself in a place of grace this morning. Right now, God's Word is being spoken to you every bit as much as it was being spoken to Mary. Not because I'm speaking. Me speaking has nothing to do with it. Because the Holy Spirit has promised to speak through the Word. That's why God is speaking to you right now. He's, I believe that right now, through this Word, right now, shades, not later, right now God is pouring out His unmerited, unearned love on all of us. Will you see it as love? Receive it. Will Mary because if we're honest, this love looks very different. Gabriel said, Mary, God's about to pour out His grace, His love on you. Here's what it looks like. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I, I am a virgin? Mary's confused. Aren't you? Like I am. In fact, I have a few more questions than Mary. And mine are a little more pointed. Primarily, what I want to ask right here is how is this love? And Gabriel, you said, you said, this is God pouring out His favor, His grace, His love upon this girl, but how is this love? Mary's a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal in the first century was kind of like engagement. Year-long period leads up to marriage, but it was more binding. Like To get out of it, you actually had to get divorced. And all of this likely means that Mary is somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14, despite what our Christian artwork might show you. 12 to 14 was the normal age of betrothal for young girls in first century Israelite culture. So I want you to try and imagine this young girl explaining to her parents, to Joseph, to people the truth of why she has turned up pregnant. Like everybody's going to think she's crazy or a liar. She will immediately become a social outcast. Joseph will divorce her and she could even be publicly tried and put to death. I mean, how is Mary supposed to see this, the advent of Christ into her life, the coming of Christ in her life, how is she supposed to see this as an announcement of love? How is Theophilus supposed to see the advent of Christ into his life as an announcement of love? I mean, things before Jesus had likely been fine for Theophilus. But now, like Mary, he's a social outcast. Like Mary, he's probably considered crazy by his peers. 
And like Mary, Jesus could even cost him his life. How is the advent of Christ an announcement of love for Theophilus? How, how is Christ an announcement of love to us? To the, to the world? I mean, we confess that Christ came, but that obviously didn't fix everything. Just a cursory glance around the world will let you know that. I confess that Christ is coming to my own life, but it hasn't fixed everything. In fact, confessing him as king leads me to be a social outcast and considered crazy by our culture writ large. Like, how is the advent of Christ an announcement of love to you, to me, to the, to the world? Oh, shades. These questions betray the truth that we are a people so quick to see what we are losing and so slow to see what we gain. These are the questions that echo around in my own heart, betraying the truth that I am a person so quick to see what I'm losing and so slow to see what I gain. What do I mean? The, the advent of Christ into my life, yes, it may cost me. It may cost me my reputation, my social standing, my job, my family. Yes, even my life. But what is any of that set next to what I gain? Christ. Who cares what I lose? Look what I gain. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, abandon all, even if it looks like your to your family like you're hating them. Look what you gain. It's to come after Him and to follow Him. You get Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where God gives Paul that thorn in the flesh. Why? So that Paul may have to depend more and more on the power of God through Christ. He gets more of Christ to the point that he ends up declaring, I'm going to boast in this weakness so that the power of Christ may rest in me. I get more of Jesus. So I'm okay with this. I want more of Him. Or John chapter 11. Where Jesus says, because I love Mary and Martha and Lazarus, I'm going to let Lazarus die. Do you know why? So that they might come to know Him as the resurrection and the life. They couldn't know Him as that any other way. They're going to get more of Him. Which is better than Lazarus living. It's a greater treasure. They get Christ. Is the advent of Christ into Mary's life going to cost her? Yes, greatly. She will suffer much loss. Luke chapter 2 and verse 55 says it's going to be like a sword. Pierces her own soul. But look at what? No, no. Look at who she will gain. She will gain Jesus. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And Gabriel tells us five things about this son just to keep piling on the grace and pouring out the love. Five things that show why the announcement of Christ is love towards Mary, love towards you. Number one, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 makes explicit why this name is given to him because Jesus will save his people from their sins. This is God's love towards you. And he doesn't stop there. Call him Jesus. But number two, he will be great. Second thing Gabriel tells us about this son. He will be great. This is different from what we heard about John the Baptist last week in verse 15. We were told that John the Baptist would be great before the Lord. But Jesus is just great in and of himself. 
Why? Because Jesus is the great one. He is God himself. And we see that in thing number three. We are told he will be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus will be the very Son of God. In a way that no one else can be called a Son of God. Like you get called a Son of God. I get called a Son of God. Angels get called sons of God. When Jesus is called the Son of God, it is in a way different and distinct from the rest of us. We know that because of verse 35. Look at it. Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, set apart, unique, distinct, in a category of his own. So what are you going to call him? Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. God. Jesus is in a category all his own as the Son of God. Gabriel says even his birth is meant to show that. His birth, Mary, is going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Mary, there's been a lot of miraculous births throughout history. There is only one virgin birth. The prophet Isaiah told you all the way back in Isaiah 7 and verse 14 that that unique birth was meant to tell you something about the unique one born. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Unique birth for a unique baby. God in the flesh. Jesus is the unique Son of the Most High God because He is the Most High God in flesh. And Gabriel tells us he gets a throne to go with that title. This is thing number four. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. you got to go all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, but there you will see God making a promise to His people that the day will come when He will send the Messiah through the line of King David. And what have we been told in this text already? That Joseph, Mary's betrothed, he's from the line of who? He's from the line of David. If he adopts Jesus as his son, which he will, then Jesus legally has all rights to the throne of David. And God says, I'm going to fulfill that promise through him, through my son. I'm going to give him David's throne. And do you want to know for how long? Thing number five. He will reign forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary, You're about to conceive, and yes, you will lose many things, but you will gain a king. The very Son of the Most High, your great God in the flesh, name Him Jesus, for He will save you so that you get God forever as your treasure. This is an announcement of love to Mary. No matter what she loses, look at what she gains. It's an announcement of love, and she sees it. She sees it as love. I know that because of how she goes on to describe this announcement. Later in the chapter, she's going to sing a song. Look down to verse 46. Look at her first words that describe how she sees this news. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, All generations will call me blessed. This is God loving me. All generations will see it. All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. He's poured out his grace. He's poured out his love. 
in faith, Mary sees this as an announcement of love to her. She's got to see it in faith. I mean, think about that phrase from verse 46 when she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. What a statement of faith. Because her present generation is not going to call her blessed. They will mock her. She will be an outcast. Look down upon you name it. But despite all of that, she sees this as an announcement of God's love being poured into her life and not just into her life, but love, God's love being poured out onto the world. I know that because her song goes on. And in verse 50, she says, and His mercy is for those. Everybody. It's for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary sings this announcement of love it will extend to those who fear him who have faith in him in every generation this is this is an announcement of love to the world it's an announcement of love to you shades do you see it do you see it this is god's advent announcement of love to you god has given you a king His own Son, the truly great one. His name is Jesus, for He will save you into His perfect kingdom that will never end. If we're honest, as amazing as that good news sounds, it causes me to ask a question. The same question that it caused Mary to ask. How will this be? Look at verse 34. Specifically, Mary asks, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, if you recall from last week, when Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a baby, he too asked a question. He said, How shall I know this? But what we're meant to see right here is that Mary's question is very different from Zechariah's. Zechariah's question was rooted in prideful doubt that demanded proof. How shall I know this? Prove it to me. I'm not going to believe unless I see. His question was rooted in prideful doubt that demanded proof. Mary's question is rooted in humble faith that seeks understanding. I mean, look, she she doesn't doubt Gabriel's word. She's just trying to understand how it's going to come about. I mean, she she knows basic biology. She knows I ain't got what you need to make this thing happen. So, So she humbly asks how I believe. Teach me. This is this is what one of the early church fathers, Anselm, called faith seeking understanding this is the place this is the posture that our questions come from it's okay to have questions but this is the place and posture that they come from a place of humble faith that doesn't demand but that seeks to understand because if we're honest we still have the same question That Mary asks right here. I I have the same question that Mary asks. In essence, what Mary is asking is, God, how are your promises going to come about? Because as far as I can see, it looks impossible. Is that not what she's asking? How are your promises going to come about? Because as far as I can see, it looks impossible. I believe, but how, Lord? 
That's what she asked when she heard this Advent announcement of love. And this is what I ask when I hear Advent's announcement of love. When I hear God has sent His Son Jesus to rule and to reign as our great King forever, I ask, how? How are you going to bring that promise about? Because as far as I can see, it looks impossible. It does not look like Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. I don't know about you, but it don't look like it to me. When I, when I look at my life, when I look at, at the world, when I, when I watch the news, or when we get a diagnosis from a doctor, or when we hear our friends lay out all of their hurts, like when the pain of this life is up in your face and it's all that you can see and it doesn't look like Jesus is King. He may have come, but where is His kingdom? How will that be? Mary says, you claim I'll conceive. We say, you claim Jesus is King. And we both ask, how will this be? I think, I think God gives us both the same answer. In verses 35 to 37. Look at his answer to Mary. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary asks, how will this be? God says, I'm going to do this by the power of my life-giving Holy Spirit. Gabriel actually uses creation language right here from Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit of God hovers over creation before bringing forth life. He, he says just like that, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you hover over your womb like he did in creation and he will use his creative power to bring life out of nothing just like he did in the beginning and mary if if you still don't think that's possible i've got a preview for you of god doing that already go visit your barren cousin elizabeth and ask her how that barrenness thing is going and mary Go see for yourself how God is bringing about life where there is none. He has brought about a resurrection of sorts in Elizabeth's womb. Mary, go! Go see and know, know from that, that no matter what things look like to you, nothing is impossible for God, not even this Advent announcement of love. And Shades, God's answer through Gabriel... It's, is the answer to our question today just as much as it was the answer to Mary's question back then. We ask, Jesus has come, we claim Him as, as, as King, but where is the kingdom that God has promised? How are we to live in this world where it looks like His kingdom, is, his kingdom coming is an impossibility? How will this be? We get the same answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. We get that promise from Jesus Himself in Acts chapter 1, do we not? 
We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this impossible life for Christ until the day of His second advent when He will return to bring His kingdom in full. Do you want evidence that that day is guaranteed to come? God has given you the same evidence that He gave to Mary. He said to Mary, look at Elizabeth where I have resurrected a dead womb to send John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. If I have started that work of preparing the way for the advent of Christ, then believe I will complete it in you just as I have promised, no matter how impossible it looks. And shades, God has given your faith the same rock-solid evidence. For what He did in Elizabeth's womb, He also did inside of a tomb. He brought about a resurrection, the reversal of death. And if He started this work of reversing death, then believe Him when He has promised Christ will come again to complete it. Elizabeth's womb was evidence that God would keep His promise of Christ's first advent. And Christ's tomb is the evidence that God will keep His promise of Christ's second advent, no matter how impossible that looks. Elizabeth's womb, Christ's tomb, both prove nothing is impossible with God. Not even Advent's announcement of love. Do you see it, Shades? Do you, do you see it? And do you receive it? Mary did. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me. Like everything. Even though this is going to cost me. Every, everything this may cost me. Let it, let it be to me. I will carry this Advent announcement. Literally, she is going to carry it. I will carry this Advent announcement of love. No matter how much it marks me as an outcast. No matter how much it makes people think that I'm crazy. I see it as love. And I receive it as love. This is Mary's humble response. This is how you receive the love of God. In humility. Humility puts you in the posture of reception. Humility doesn't earn you anything. Mary doesn't get to receive this gift because she's humble and that earned her this gift. Humility doesn't earn you the right to receive something. It enables you to be in the position to receive something. I mean, this is, just, this is James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but He gives. He gives grace to the humble because they're in a posture to receive it. Have we not seen James 4, 6 play out over the course of these last two weeks? Last week, God opposing the proud? The proud heart of Zechariah, who's too proud to believe, but right here, God pouring out His grace to Mary who humbly receives. This is Mary's humble response. And then the angel departs and she was alone. I mean, in that moment, how alone must she have felt? How, how, how afraid must she have felt? All alone. But in reality, her God was closer than ever before literally in her alone but not alone and he present with her would empower her every step of the way to continue seeing his action and receiving his action as love because this moment right here for her, this is not going to be the most difficult moment of her life to see and believe that god's action is loving 
Now that most difficult moment is going to come at the foot of a cross. She is going to be there seeing her son, broken, body, bloodied. She is going to have stirring in her heart, churning this question again. How can this be? How can this be love? How can this be you pouring out your grace? But three days later, through an empty tomb, she would fully and finally see and receive the love of God through the advent of her resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, shades, do we see the advent announcement of God's love and do we receive it as love? Do we carry, like Mary, maybe not as literally as Mary, but do we carry the Advent announcement of Christ's love to the world? No matter how much it marks us as outcasts in our culture. No matter how much it makes people think that we're crazy. Do we take Mary's humble posture of faith so that we see and receive this love? If we do, I can promise you that like her, there are going to be times where we are sure to feel alone. Maybe you feel that way right now. Because just as the angel departed from her, so also our Christ is risen and ascended and departed from this world. But you're alone, but not alone. Because in reality, your God is closer than ever before. By His Holy Spirit, He literally dwells in you. And He will empower you every step of the way. Even on your life's darkest day, when you ask the question again and again, how can this be? He will be present to empower you. He will point you back to the empty tomb as evidence that a reversal of sin and death has begun. And that is a guarantee that the day of His second advent will come when you and I will see and receive fully and finally God's final announcement of love as He declares the words, Behold, I am making all things new. This is Advent's announcement of love to you, to me, to the world. See it, Shay. Receive it. Amen.